If you have the Word of God this morning, I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be in Ephesians this morning, and uh, as Ron was saying, I have a new task at Rock Point Church, which is to, uh, to lead men's ministry. And, you know, if you've been around church life a long time, you know that how we do church is very feminine and bows and colors that are feminine, a lot of women's Bible studies. And so they're like, well, who can we choose to be like the most manly, burly man possible to lead out our Rock Point ministry? So... <laughs> Uncomfortable, awkward laugh. Thank you. Okay, so, uh, which is interesting because, you know, I didn't grow up with a dad, and uh, men's ministry for me is awkward. I've never led any men's ministry before. So they're like, well, what can we do? I'm like, I like to eat. Men's ministry and food, yes. So October 16th, men, let your wives write that on the calendar for you. Get you out of the house. We're having a Saturday a pig, pig picking feast. Uh, we're going to roast a pig, eat well. We're going to throw the pig skin and uh, give prizes to guys that can, like, do crazy things with the pig skin. And then we're going to watch football. So football, food, prizes. It's a men's ministry event. Welcome to Rock Point. It's going to be great. October 16th. That's a little commercial. Hey, as powerful as this, we uh, are in the middle of a, a, a marriage series. And we're talking about good to great marriages. And last week, Ron was able to unpack uh, what does it look like to, to have the institution of marriage, God's idea in marriage. It was kind of cool because we were, we were sort of sitting around the staff room together thinking about this several weeks ago. And he's like, well, I can, uh, you know, I can start the marriage series out. And then uh, who can do great marriages? Who's like, you know, Brian and Edie have a great marriage. So we'll let them kind of wrap that up and put the ending top of that deal next week. And he, Brian says going to bring a great job. And then but with the middle is broken marriages. Let's see. Now, who on staff can speak to broken? Matthew, hey, would you kind of be the broken marriage guy? I'm like, my wife's going to love this. It's good. So on Friday, we went on a big date and a great vine. We're like, great marriage. <laughs> we have a great marriage. And then we, you know, for our kids, it was outstanding. So uh, this morning, we're, we're talking about the task. Look, why do we not experience great marriages in our, in our modern context? In 2013, even as a, a Rock Point evangelical church, why do so many of our marriages in this room struggle to have great marriages? And so, again, Ron did lay out the foundations last Sunday. What, what God's heart for marriage and the reason why he created the, the foundation of society through the institution of marriage, the, the, the base of relationships that would be the foundation for all of our society. And then next week, uh, Brian Sanders is going to help us figure out how then do we get to great marriage. And so you don't want to miss next Sunday. But this morning, I think it's appropriate then to ask the question, if we know what God's heart is for marriage, and we're going to figure out next week how to get there. So what's happened? Why do we not experience and find ourselves in the midst of great marriages? There's a, a movie that came out a couple years ago that I think is just perfect. And I wonder if your marriage, you can identify with this, this movie. Date Night came out a couple years ago. And I, I love the fact of the marriage because you've got Steve Carell and, and Tina Fey. And, and so they kind of look shambled, right? They're kind of frazzled. And the, the movie, you know, I don't recommend the movie necessarily. It's not a clean movie. Uh, but the process of the movie is they find themselves in the rut in marriage, doing the same old thing, and they just kind of have gotten stagnant in their marriage. And through a circle or through a series of events, and a comedy of events, comedy of errors, they, they come on the other side, uh, and they love each other more, but it comes through a, a big trial in their life. And so the picture it really kind of says a thousand things to us this morning. Does this kind of image symbolize this morning where your marriage is at. Unfortunately, I think that many of us uh, know there's some real obstacles in your life and my life to great marriage. 
And this morning I want to start in Ephesians chapter 4. And I just want to let Paul do the work. Let the Holy Spirit of God do the work through Scripture this morning. Let him be our teacher to kind of lead us this morning to say, so what does it look like? And why, why are we so needful? And so Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17, we, we get to a place this morning where here is, here is Paul in trying to encourage us, the church at Ephesus, to, to know God's standard, God's heart, God's encouragement for the church. And what's beautiful is we, we see in Ephesians the Trinitarian nature of God. Because God is Trinity. He's a triune that's three in one. He, he, his very nature is a relational nature. He created a universe where he could express himself relationally and where we as human beings would connect intimately with the living God relationally. We, we, this whole concept of the universe, the design, is a design for fellowship and intimacy and the reality is because we're broken as human beings and we have marred all that God has called us to have in all of our relationships, it's spilled over into our marriages. And in a big way, our marriages are dynamic. Most of them are dysfunctional. And at the very best, maybe this morning, maybe you're one of the few, like the 8% of Rock Point that have a dynamic, phenomenal marriage that you're, you're experiencing you know, just great blessing and anointing. But let's be honest, most of us, kind of land that plane where date night is. We just have settled into what is routine and what is normal and what is necessarily not even God's best in his heart. And why is that? What are those obstacles that prevent us from having great marriages? Well, Ephesians 7, uh, 4, 17, Paul lays out a formula for us. So he says in verse 17, So I say this and affirm this together with the Lord that you as believers should no longer walk just as the Gentiles, or i.e. those who are lost, or the heathen, those who don't know Christ. You shouldn't walk like they walk, because they walk in the futility, the foolishness of their mind, being darkened in their understanding and excluded from the life of God because of ignorance that is within them. Romans, Romans 1 says it's a chosen ignorance. Why? This happens because of the hardness of their heart. And having become callous, they've then given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity. And look at that last word there, greediness, or you can put the word selfishness in there in Greek. Let's take a time out right there, a pause. Here's Paul simply saying, as Christians, sometimes our habit is to run toward that which is our former life. And because before Jesus Christ came and rescued us and changed us, before he breathed life into us, we struggled. We struggled to find sense. And so he says, basically, if you're lost, you put together a strategy. And you do the best you can to kind of lay out a strategy for how to succeed this worldview of your life. Or I'm going to do the best I can. And the Bible says it's futility. Because God has a completely different plan, a better plan, a plan of hope and success and joy And unfortunately, the world, having blinders on their eyes, choosing ignorance or walking in the dark, just hoping they can eke out an existence. And Paul says, why would we choose to go back there when God has called us? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2, it's the Spirit of God. The things of the Spirit don't make sense to the world. The things of the Spirit are spiritually appraised, and the, the, the lost or the, the carnal man knows nothing of the things of God. And Paul's saying, you're the church. 
And you should understand that God has called you to different and better. And your marriage should look different than all your friends that are lost at work. Something should be more dynamic in the church because Jesus Christ has changed reality. Verse 20. He says, but you in Christ have not learned Jesus this way. If indeed you've heard Jesus and you've been taught Jesus because the truth is in Jesus Christ, that in reference to your old life, your former manner of life, you have laid aside the old self, which is being corrupted, decaying, in accordance with the lusts of deceit, selfishness. And that you are being renewed in the spirit of your mind. So put on the new self which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. That is a powerful statement for the church because in Jesus Christ, we are to put on God. And so our life looks like a life that is clouded and overshadowed with the holiness of God living in you and through you to give you a dynamic marriage, to give you a great marriage. Why? Because you are great relationally. Because you are great when it comes to being the very function for why you were created, which was for fellowship. First with the living God, and then with the people around you. And then as, as Ron said, in the very institution of marriage, the very building block of marriage, here is God giving you the tools that you need to have a successful, dynamic, great marriage in Christ. But if you're like me, I just run from that sometimes. I just choose to run from that which God has laid out for me and laid out what is best. And God is not satisfied with that. So Paul continues and says, all right, so what does it look like in a, in a broken relationship? What does it look like and what's a challenge for you to, to embrace? And so he says, verse 25, therefore, laying aside all falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Relationship, 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 Paul says. Our tendency in the flesh is to lie and to run from that which is of God. He says, but rather in the spirit, we are to speak truth. Now, the Bible says, speak truth and let it be seasoned with love and seasoned with grace because sometimes we all know that truth can be painful. He says, be angry and yet do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your anger, giving the devil an opportunity. So he said, there's going to be a season in your life when you've been offended, you've been wrong, and rightfully you have an indignation in your life to say, that is not right. And so there is a holy anger. We see Jesus being angry with sin and with people who are choosing to to deface the house of God. And so he reacts, yet he does not sin. And so how often in our marriages do we, in communication, respond negatively or react negatively and choose to to let the problem, the circumstance, run over into our sin? And, And I don't know how you deal with conflict in your home. How, how you do with conflicts, allow, how you were raised. And so you, you've seen it with your parents. And so maybe when someone offends you, you pout. Maybe you're a powder. You're like, ah, oh, I ain't talking to you. You can, just, you can just stink it up. Or you might go three or four days and not say anything, a cold shoulder, right? You know? Oh, you want to get in here? No. Mm-hmm. You got a big iceberg over your heart. It's, you just give them the cold shoulder. So maybe you're a little more excited. Maybe you're, my mom, bless her heart, when, when we were growing up, she communicated through slamming the cabinets. That was how she let us know 
hey, there's a problem. And so she'd walk into the kitchen, right? And for no uncertain reason, the poor cabinet, she would just open a cabinet and bam, slam it right there. Slam the other door. Go in her bedroom, slam the door. And so we, my sister and I were like, huh? And the cats were like, Rawr. we know there's something amiss in our house. We just, we, we were just, we're not that thick, but we kind of sensed that. You know, maybe, maybe you kind of grew up in a, with Irish blood or, or maybe it's Italian blood. So you all of a sudden, you're a screamer. And that's the problem when you marry a non-screamer and you grew up screaming in your family and, and, uh, and you, you marry someone who doesn't scream in their family and you try to collide for the first time in marriage. It's exciting. Because <laughs> you're like, what just happened, right? Uh, last night, it's kind of perfect because last night uh, I got a chance to officiate a, a marriage a wedding over in um, uh, Grapevine. And so I'm standing before this couple and they're walking in the aisles and they're happy and they're excited and there's tears. And I'm like, do you all really want to do this? You know, I don't want to say that out loud, so I just thought it like, you're going to really experience some more tears probably in the future. But the deal is this, you know, if you're a screamer, you know, you can just have it out. And I've seen folks just have it out in the middle of Walmart, right there in front of God and Walmart and the security, and they're just throwing the boxes and just, you know, over what? Over the, the fat-free or the 25% fat-free. It makes no sense what you're fighting over. You're just going at it in the middle of the Walmart aisles. But here's the difference, because you're a screamer and you get it all out, Y'all walk out holding hands. This is great. Pushing the buggy. This is faith. You know, you're good because you got it all out of your system, right? Some of us create conflict and some of us deal poorly with conflict. And unfortunately, how we choose to do, deal with anger and how we choose to deal with healthy conflict is, is tough. And the Bible says our task is to be angry, perhaps, to be wounded, to be injured, and yet do not let that be an associative for sin. Don't give the devil any opportunity, any ounce to sin against your spouse, against those who've wounded you because you've been wounded. That's tough. Verse 27 or verse 28, he says, And he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, work hard, performing with his own hands what is good. Why? So that we will have something to share with one who has need. Relationships. Ephesians 4 is about how do you deal well in relationships. And he says, listen, the nature of man is to work hard for himself, to store for himself, to hoard that which he thinks is his, mine, give me. It's my stuff. And God is like, I've created you to work hard, to no longer steal, to speak truth, to be godly in your speech, so that when you work hard, it's to bless those around you. And this goes counter everything our culture that teaches us is for you, it is for your gain, it's for, it's for your wealth and your portfolio. Give and give and give and take, take, take. And it's all about what it is that's going to make you better. And God is like the heart of a relational nature and the heart of a relational human composition of what I've created you to be with me is that what you do, you do for the glory of God and for the benefit of those around you. And in your marriage relationship, you're working to provide well one for another. Verse 29, he says, and let no unwholesome That's the Greek word that means corrupt or decaying, rotten. Let no rotten word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification. That's to build up according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear it. Has it been your experience that sometimes in marriage we reserve our harshest words for those that we love the most? Sometimes we just unleash on our spouse Sometimes we unleash on our kids, our poor dogs. 
sometimes we just choose not to hold the tongue and let it rain in. Instead, we just unleash this venom and those words that we can never get back. You've seen the old you know, children's illustration on Sunday mornings about you know, pushing, the, pushing the toothpaste tube. And they're like, yeah. And they're like, put it back in the tube. They're like, yeah. Because it's hard to get toothpaste back in that tube. Almost all the impossible. And once a word comes out of the mouth, it can't be retracted. We use words as daggers. We use words to destroy. We use words to break dreams and to kill hope. And even in our marriages, we allow the evil one to use our circumstance and our pain as a, as a platform to wound the other. Uh, I told the couple last night, uh, listen, you, some, and this is the best marriage advice I ever got when I, we got married 20 years ago. Uh, when things go poorly, <laughs> he said, uh, listen to how she feels, not what she says. What was that supposed to mean? Listen to how she feels. Because sometimes, you know, my wife... Because you know, I could be cold. Not that you would ever imagine me being cold. But I, you know, sometimes I can just like, wah, 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 wah. She's talking, she's excited, she's blowing. And I'm just like, whatever, man. I, you know, I'm going to watch a football game. I'm, I'm, you know, because I'm a sensitive husband. <laughs> he picked me to broken marriage for a reason, okay? So anyway, so, so she's talking. She's trying to help me understand her pain and feel her pain. And so it's easy in marriage. Sometimes she'll, she'll just do something or say something just to incite a riot, just to spark emotion, just to get me up and say, hey, are you part of this conversation? I'm like, oh, you, cr- you crossed that line? Whoa, it's on now. And all of a sudden, we, we, we're the Italians. We're, we're all about the Walmart scene. Uh, we don't shop in Flower Mountain. We really don't. We shop southern in the Roanoke area. So anyway, we've, we've been asked to leave before it's happened. It's okay. Uh, the, we're, the speed dial fire department is good. The Hardings are here. <laughs> Everyone braced. So it's cool. I, I jest, of course, because I'm preaching and it happens. But here, here's the reality. In the moment... It's so difficult for us to rein our tongue in and not let it be for destruction. But how, how cool that Paul is saying in the power of the Holy Spirit, putting on the new self, God has given us a self-control by the power of the Holy Spirit to, to give life, let our words breathe life and hope, even in a broken marriage, even in a tough marriage. And this is God's call. Look at verse 30. He says, so do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. The Spirit of God that was given to you sealed for the day of redemption. Because we steal, because we lie, because we choose not to rein our words in. In our marriage relationships, we are grieving the very Spirit of God in our life. And God has called us to better. Verse 31, he says, Now let all bitterness and wrath and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And the charge is to be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. You want a formula for marriage? You want a formula for a great marriage? That's coming. Verse 32 has a lot to do with that. So what are those obstacles I see in these uh, 15 or so verses. The first obstacle I see is that we don't have great marriages because we have a sin nature. And if you're like me, sometimes that sin nature roars its head. Romans 5, 
It says through the seed of Adam, not through Eve, but through the seed of Adam, sin has come to all mankind. We struggle with the very nature in our life that is sinful. And unless Jesus Christ can come in and rescue us, unless Jesus Christ comes in to breathe life where there's been death and to bring healing where there's been corruption, unless he does that, there is no hope, spiritually or eternally. This morning, you've got to reconcile in your own life. Have you been rescued by Jesus? Have you been converted? What does it mean to be saved or have salvation? It's to be saved from yourself and saved from sin and saved from an eternity away from God. And that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not religion, not spirituality, but a relationship with Christ. And every woman, man, and child in this room have to reconcile that in their life this morning. Do you have that relationship with Jesus Christ? Don't leave here this morning without knowing that. But the reality is that in Jesus Christ, there is hope and the Spirit of God can reign. We put on the, the new self, the former life, the old self is thrown away. And the sin nature is a battle. Ephesians five sixteen to 17 says, And do not choose to walk according to the deeds of the flesh, because the deeds of the flesh will crowd out and push out the Holy Spirit in your life. And so God has given us an out, a way out to say we don't have to be flesh-filled. We don't have to be carnal, chained only to our carnal, old nature. But in Jesus Christ and to the power of his Holy Spirit that lives in you, he is in you. You can have hope for a better day, a better marriage. You don't have to keep feeding the flesh. You can allow the Holy Spirit to reign in your life. And that is a choice in your life. If you go there to chapter 5 in Ephesians, you'll see in verse 18, it says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, that's sin, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. What a great connection. Here's Paul saying this, and I've never been drunk, and I don't drink alcohol, and so for me it's kind of a, a theoretical deal, but some of you guys do, and so you'll know what I'm saying when I say that when you drink alcohol and the content of alcohol in your life, it goes right to your bloodstream, and all of a sudden it, it, there's a chemical reaction that's taking place in your blood and in your brain and in your liver and in your heart, and all of a sudden you become controlled by the chemical OH, i.e. alcohol. And that chemical reaction that's happening in your body chooses to say that which should inhibit you and that which is wise for you, it kind of says, you know what? Let's just go uninhibited right now. And why are there so many bar fights? And why do guys feel more at ease to talk to girls? Or why is it that alcohol makes you different? It's because all the things in your nature that says you shouldn't cross this line, the alcohol says, why lie? And what's the point? The point is you're completely controlled by a chemical substance in your body for a season. Now, what happens the next morning? Because you've drunk water or coffee or whatever, it's rinsed through your system and you're no longer the same way. And if you want to have the same buzz, what do you do? You go out and you drink more. Well, Paul says that's sin in your life. That's not what God's called a Christian to do. But he says, but not unlike that experience, we should put on the Holy Spirit. We should ask to be filled today with the Holy Spirit that he would saturate my life, to be controlled at every cellular level with the Holy Spirit. And in the same way that someone would be dissipated with drunkenness, we should be filled completely saturated with the Spirit of the living God. And guess what happens the next morning when you wake up? You should ask the Spirit of God to fill you again and afresh that day as well. 
and the day after, and the day after. And so Paul gives us an illustration that most men can understand. What does it mean to pour into your life something that controls you? He says, let it be the spirit of the living God in your life. For that's what God has created you for. And when you are spirit-filled, you now have the capacity in Christ for a good marriage, for good relationships, for dynamic reality in your life. The second obstacle is also akin to this. We have the obstacle of an instinct towards selfishness or self-preservation. And unfortunately, in our lives and our marriages, we, we tend to go through a season where we have been hurt, and we, we, we've trusted our partner, and they've wounded us. And after the first few months in marriage, the first few years of marriage, when a woman keeps opening her heart, or maybe a guy's been browbeat by his wife, and he keeps opening himself up to his wife, and there's abuse of the heart, there's abuse of words, and there's abuse of action, all of a sudden we start building the bricks and building the walls around our heart to protect us. Because if you're not going to take care of me and you're my spouse and God puts you on the earth to look out for my needs, who then can I trust? And all of a sudden we start to build these walls. And there's some folks in this room, you have towers in your life to guard your heart because those whom you trusted have wounded it and have broken it. And this morning you would say there's a deep wound in your life, in your marriage, that has not been healed because of the selfish instinct of our life to protect ourselves. And that's not just for ladies, it's for men equally. The wound is hard. And the wound changes how you do life. And so at that point, all of a sudden you realize, you know, our marriage has come to a standstill. There's no growth in marriage when I have a tower of my life over my heart. I cannot be vulnerable. I cannot be honest. I cannot grow. I'm stunned still. I'm waiting for something to happen. And there'll be marriages 15 years and 20 years and 30 years just doing life, and you're in the same house, and you're paying the mortgage, and, you, and you're living under the same roofs, but there's no marriage there. There's no companionship there. The love has grown cold. Your heart is surrounded by a castle protecting it. And God has called us rather to run toward that which is selfish, demanding our rights, demanding what's owed to us and all the collateral damage that comes with us keep pushing our agenda to have to be right at all times. Christ has called us to learn to be a servant. And to put on the new self looks like putting on a servant attitude. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, the Bible says, do nothing from selfish ambition or selfishness or empty conceit but with humility of mind, treat each other as more important than yourselves. And do not look merely out for your own personal interests, but look out for the interests of those around you. That is not instinctive. That's not the American way. That's what God has called us to do, to start to, to, to salve our heart is to say, I need to serve others. I need God to breathe life. I need God to come and chip down this wall of my heart so that I could place my faith in him. And the third obstacle is very much like that as well. The fact is that we have become too satisfied with mediocrity, with ease, with comfort. And here's what it looks like. Look, early on in our marriages, we realize that we've somehow placed our faith, our trust. We've placed our completion in our spouse. You know, it's the Jerry Maguire, you complete me. You know, and, that, and oh, he had me at that. You know, it's all of a sudden my heart is 
and we've connected this Lego piece one by one. When you realize, you know, deep in the marriage, that Lego piece had been broken, you weren't a fit to begin with. You're a Duplo, I'm a Lego. What's going on here? Hello? And so all of a sudden we realize this whole marriage thing is work. We realize this whole marriage thing is, is tough. And, and the opportunity then for us to, to place our hopes and dreams in each other's, we realize that we let each other down. And all of a sudden your man who you dreamed of as a child, you think about your four, in fourth grade you had those little you know, things you did this way and I'm going to live in a house and have this nice car and I'm going to marry Johnny and this is going to be great. You plan from like fourth grade onward, you know, this is how my life is supposed to look and I'm going to marry this guy. He's going to be a prince and he's going to take care of my heart. He's going to rescue me. He's going to be awesome. And you didn't realize he's sitting in a you know, lounge chair in his underwear and he's watching football and there's kind of this funk around him. You're like, this is not so much what I signed up for. You know, the, that guy, they know all this. And we realize when I put my hopes and dreams consistently in his heart, what's happened? I've been let down. I've been let down. I've been let down. And you realize that you're empty. And you're satisfied. And so the dust has settled in your life. And you're just saying, how can I just eke out a day? Take care of my kids. Pay the mortgage life. But the problem with that, guys, and I've done the same thing. For 12 years of my marriage, I put my hope and satisfaction in my wife. The Bible says quickly that there is only one thing that can do what God and give what God has created us to have. Romans 15, 13, the Bible says this, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that you will abound in the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God alone is our completion. God alone is our hope. God alone gives the power to give us what we have. And so it's not about stuff. No matter if you were born well, you had a great high school career, no matter whether you have a lot of money or position or clout, no matter whether you have a lot of stuff, none of those things will give us the joy that only God himself can give in our life. And so the pattern is, if I don't place God first, I've got to find something else to salve this great need in my life. And so I fill it with alcohol, I fill it with sports, I fill it with my children, I fill it with other relationships, and those keep letting me down over and over. And so the cycle of dysfunction just keeps breeding dysfunction. And only God this morning, Rock Point, can fill the void of your life to start the foundation to give you hope for your marriage. And we look elsewhere rather than running to God. And this morning is the heart of the design of God, that we would run to him first to be our completion, to give us hope and a joy. And I want to close with this. Uh, Patrick Lencioni, he, uh, he's, a, he's an author, a uh, Harvard guy. He's a, um, a business guy, business guru, does strategic leadership and those things. And so uh, I had a chance, uh, my first doctorate was in uh, organizational leadership, how to bring organizations, get them more efficient. So if I speak to a group that's uh, a secular group in an organization or dental practice or whatever, we talk about business practices. And, and he talks about the five dysfunctions of a team. And one of the five dysfunctions that make your practice or your business or whatever not, not function well is, is the absence of trust. As soon as your business and your colleagues lose trust in the system or trust in the boss or trust in the management or trust among colleagues, you've, you've, you stop your functionality. But isn't that just really applying to marriage one-on-one? The minute that we lost trust with each other, 
the, the moment that for, for whatever season our marriage was on pause. The second dysfunction was a, a fear of conflict. And so this morning, you know, you don't want to go home as you drive and talk about this message with your spouse because you know as soon as that happens, oh, here it comes. Here we go again. It's always never good enough. It's always, you know, and whatever. And so all of a sudden you're walking on eggshells and you're just choosing to avoid conflict and avoiding conflict at that moment when you don't have the the absence or the ability to do conflict, you put a pause in your marriage. Hey, and there might be some folks who've had pause for 20 years. The third one is the inattention to detail and results. We're not measuring where we're at. We're not really seeing if we're being successful. We're not seeing where the breakdown is. And so in an organization, when, when you don't look at the results or there's inattention to the details, you're just, you're just showing up, just doing stuff. And that's, that's the whole point of the trek. We've started the trek as a church-wide process to help us understand, are we growing spiritually? We want every member of our church to, 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 to buy into trek because we want to help you ask the right question, how am I growing in my walk with Christ? Am I the same place I've been five years? I'm asking you for your marriage this morning. Where is your marriage? Do you have a dynamic and great marriage? I pray so. You should be mentoring couples in our church. If you're like the rest of us and you have a stagnant, broken, dysfunctional marriage, guys, there's hope this morning for you. I want you to hear me say as I stand on the stage before you, I lead with a limp. And the limp has been a broken marriage. And God, who could breathe life into my heart, into my wife's heart, to take the ashes and the brokenness and the dysfunction of our life and our marriage and bring us to life and give us hope. Can I just speak a word of encouragement over you? There is hope for your marriage. If you're here this morning, if you're listening to this message, it is not too far gone if you allow God to speak to you, to say, wait on me. Wait on me. And God wants to have his way in this church. And God wants to have his way in your life. And God wants to have his way in your marriage. And that's why we're together this morning. Because God is glorified when we ask ourselves the hard questions. And we know that he is the answer. So I don't know why you put your, your pants on and your makeup this morning. I'm not sure why God brought you to Rock Point Church this morning. But I bet it's to ask yourself the question, where do I stand in relationship with God? And where's our marriage? Rock Point Church this morning, there is hope. Would you bow your heads this morning as we pray? I don't often do this, and I know Ron doesn't do this often, but this morning, if you need help, there's help available. Two, there's a resource in the lobby that's free. It's a book called When Sinners Say I Do. If you want to grab that book, it's a, it's a weird title, but it's a phenomenal book, and you just take that and read that book. It's free for you. But this morning, with your eyes closed and your heads bowed this morning, I just want to ask in a, in a moment of, of vulnerability, if I could just pray over you this morning, if you would maybe just gently raise your hand. You don't have to raise it high. Just say, Matthew, would you pray for my marriage? Would you pray for me? Or I know someone who's got a broken marriage, and I want to pray for them this morning. Would that be anybody in this room this morning? All over the room. Father God, I, I ask you in a, 
the sensitivity of this moment, that you would heal and do the work of God that you desire for your glory. But Father, there are people that are hurting and desperately wounded in this room this morning that need a touch from you, a fresh touch from God to say, I have not left you. I have not forsaken you. I am the God of life. And I can bring healing where there's been destruction. And I can bring life where there's been nothing but death. And this morning, I beg of you, healer God, to breathe hope into these marriages, to breathe hope into the lives of these couples that need life. Father, this is not too big for you. And Lord, there are folks that are not too far gone in this room and in our church. Lord, help us to be a church that loves well, that you would bring in hurting folks and hurting people in lives and crumbles that we would say we love you and we will fight with you. And this is a refuge for you to be safe. God, make Rock Point this church that you would overflow our walls with people who've tasted your grace deeply. Lord, that's our prayer this morning. Have your way. Healer God, have your way.